0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another podcast. I'm Christina Vogt, Associate Editor of Consultant360.com. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Phyllis Speiser, who is the Chair of the Endocrine Society's 2018 Clinical Practice Guideline for Congenital Adrenal Hyperplasia Due to Steroid-21 Hydroxylase Deficiency. So Dr. Spizer, why was it important to update this guideline? The Endocrine Society
1: has routinely selected topics important to clinicians for guidelines. And the first set of guidelines was published in 2010. So obviously, with eight years having elapsed, the field is moving forward and new developments needed to be reviewed and reported to the endocrine
0: practitioners. Could you overview some of the major conclusions made in the new guideline? What were some notable changes or updates? In the published
1: guideline from 2018, we went over some topic areas that seemed to need further attention. So first of all, I think we were a little more inclusive in detailing management for not only pediatric cases, but also really throughout the life cycle. Starting with the neonatal period, certain refinements were made in newborn screening. This is still an area in need of further improvement because the positive predictive value of newborn screening continues to be somewhat low, and newer criteria for identifying newborns with classic CAH are being tested. So some of these include the use of Assays such as liquid chromatography, tandem mass spectrometry, which seems to surpass the old immunoassays in terms of their accuracy. There are new developments in looking at the adverse side effects of prenatal dexamethasone, which was a controversial topic eight years ago when the first guidelines were published, and now there's additional supporting information from both human and animal studies that lead us to conclude that this is not something that we want to be including as a standard element of CAH practice. The other topic area that warranted a systematic review and meta-analysis that was published alongside the guidelines was the idea of whether and when to recommend genital reconstructive surgery for individuals, usually females, with virilizing CAH. And the data from the published literature could not support a recommendation of for either early or late surgery because the data were of low quality and there doesn't seem to be much in the way of adequate long-term follow-up on the majority of those individuals. We also looked at a systematic review and meta-analysis of the cardio and metabolic comorbidities of CAH. And again, didn't really come up with compelling evidence to support the use of guidelines different from the general population for following cardio and metabolic functions. So that about summarizes the differences between the original guideline published in 2010 and the newer guideline from 2018.
0: Were there any notable limitations in the evidence assessed in the statement that could ultimately inform future research endeavors? Yes,
1: of course, and we pointed out in the original guideline, and again, it's evident from reading the literature and looking at this guideline, that this is not a topic area where there's an abundance of prospective randomized controlled trials. So what we're dealing with in many instances are case series, anecdotal reports, evidence of limited or low quality So this is a difficult area to obtain high-quality evidence. And furthermore, there aren't a lot of new drugs that have come to market, although we do highlight some new potential developments that we hope will be available to the CAH population in the near future in terms of enhancing treatment and control.
0: What take-home message do you hope endocrinologists and other clinicians leave this podcast with?
1: So I hope people will actually go and read the guidelines or at least the summary of the recommendations that will inform practice. As you're aware, guidelines are not a mandate that you must do things a certain way, but rather just suggestions based on the best available evidence that we have at this point in time as to how patients with CAH should be managed. So uh, it is a complex, Um, type of patient that presents to the endocrinologist with CAH. I'm hoping that with time and with the publication of these guidelines, beyond the pediatric age group, there'll be a better system for transitioning patients to the care of adult endocrinologists, and they'll have a better understanding of what these emerging adults need in terms of their management, beginning with the medical treatment and extending all the way to their mental health.
0: Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Speiser, and thank you to everyone listening to this podcast. For more podcasts like this, visit consultant360.com.